Morgan and I have a few things in common. She also is a graduate of a very prestigious university, um, San Jose State. We, we, both, we both went to San Jose State. You swam there, though, didn't you? I was having trouble keeping, you know, my head above water academically, but you were actually swimming there. So that was good. And you guys met there, too, right? And then the other thing we have in common, which is really surprising, as we were talking about this earlier, is that I knew Candy, the friend that she talked about. And um, I knew her when she was Candy Cox, and she went to high school with me. And her younger sister, Robin, was friends with my sisters, and her boyfriend, Dave, whom she married, Dave Maurer, played football with me. And they were a year behind me in school. So we were talking about that. It was kind of like, wow, this is a small world. And we'd never really talked about our faith at that point. This was many years ago. And we were talking about different memories we had, and there were some fun memories. But it's interesting, the memory that came back to me the most vivid, was not really a happy memory, but a sad one. And that was that Dave's dad died when we were young. And I remember high school age, I think late high school, I went to the memorial. And it really hit me. It was one of those first times in my life when I went to a funeral that it really grabbed me. And I thought, boy, funerals are, are sort of futile. I mean, we go to honor the person who's died, but... They're not there. Actually, them not being there may be a good thing. If they know the Lord, they're in a better place. And that's made possible because of what Jesus did today. So I'm going to surprise you all today, and we're going to talk about the topic of resurrection on Easter Sunday. (laughs) And we are going to look at a passage that gives us hope in the midst of loss of life, that there can be life again. And so um, we're going to continue, we're actually going to change directions and go into a new series today. We've been talking about the beginning of the end, the last years of day, last years, even really last days of Jesus's life. And now we're going to look at the end of the beginning because we're starting it all over again. Jesus is risen and we have new hope and a new start. We'll look today at Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Let me read that for us. Uh, It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb, bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Question for us today is, why were they looking for the living among the dead? Why were they looking for the living among the dead? And the first reason why, I believe, is that they thought Jesus was dead. They thought he was dead. Verses 1 through 5, the first things we're told is that this happened on the first day of the week. What's, what's the first day of the week? What, what is it? Girls, your kids are only Sunday. Yep, you, you got it. Sun, yep. 
Cooper, Sunday, awesome. So the kids are joining in on this, and they know it's Sunday. Everybody knows it's Sunday. So Jesus died on a Friday. Why did they wait till Sunday? Saturday was the Sabbath day, right? I heard some of you saying, so that means that that was a holy day. That was a day of rest. They weren't allowed to visit tombs. They weren't allowed to travel distances. So they had to wait until Sunday. So they went as early as they could Sunday, and they set off for this trip. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all write about this, and they give different variations of the story. They give different perspectives and different angles, and it's really fascinating. You can piece them together, and it becomes very interesting, but we're not going to take time to do that today. We're going to focus primarily on Luke's perspective, but in doing that, we'll pull a little bit from the others to help us out. One of the first things we see is that they saw that this stone was by itself, and that alarmed them, and one of the reasons it alarmed them is Mark tells us it was a very large stone. It was a heavy stone. Probably what they had, it was probably a disc-shaped stone, and they had like a groove in the the rock, and they would roll it in place over the rectangular entrance to the tomb. And so it was easy to roll down, but very difficult to roll back up because they didn't want thieves or animals to get into the tomb. So they made it difficult, and these women are thinking, how are we going to get that thing moved? And they get there, and it's already gone. What would you do if it's gone? Would you go into the tomb? Go look for the body. That's what they did, and they got in there, and they see these guys that, you know, look like something out of a 1970s disco, you know, with these bright white clothes, you know I mean? They just walk up, and they just bang! Why are these guys, where'd they get these clothes? They don't look like regular guys. And they start talking to them, and suddenly they put two and two together. People don't look like this normally. And in the stories they've read before, this is what angelic beings look like. And later in verse 23, we're told these are angelic beings. In other passages, we're told they're angelic beings, and obviously they realize they were because they bow down um, and show them respect. How many of you already knew they were angels? How many of you already knew they were angels? We we figured that most of us got it. The kids all knew. Um, So we figured this out already. But here's the key, and this is an important part of what we're going to be learning today. They didn't know as fast as we do because they hadn't read the story. They were in the story. And sometimes when we're looking at them, we think, why didn't they get it? They're in the story. They're in the moment. This is real time for them. And so they see these men that come up to them, and they have these bright clothes, and all of a sudden they realize, oh, wow, these are angels. The other passages tell us there was one angel. This is the only one that tells us there were two, which indicates that one angel was the spokesperson, but apparently there was a second angel that was with him. And the first thing that he has to say to them is, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Which, if you think about it, is a little bit sarcastic, a little bit of humor almost. Why are you looking for somebody who's alive at a place where everybody's dead? I had a a great uncle, Bob, and he was quite a character, and he he was a farmer. And then after he retired from farming, so to speak, he became a gardener for a cemetery. And I remember asking him, how's your job going, Bob? And he goes, it's great. Nobody ever complains. (laughs) And that's kind of what's being said here. It's just sort of silly. Why there's nobody alive here? Why are you here? And that's the point is that Jesus has risen from the dead and he's alive and we can know him personally and we can interact with him. And one of the problems I think that sometimes people have when they say, okay, I'm going to see if I believe in Jesus. I'm going to find out about Jesus. They they look into him as if he was a regular person. 
They look into him as if he isn't really the son of God, that he isn't the God man. They look into his life as if he was just a regular person that you could study in history. And so people will study tremendous amounts about Jesus. They'll get their PhD in in Jesus and they'll be experts in Jesus. They know a lot about him, but they don't know him. You see the difference? Subtle at first, but very important. They know a lot about him, but they don't know him. And you can actually know the God of the universe. When we talk like this, we realize that we have stepped into uh, an area that is, gets a little bit controversial. We say, well, how can we do that? That's, you can't scientifically prove that. You can't scientifically prove this stuff. Well, that's true, you can't. But I am one who does not believe in a conflict between science and Christianity. I think the two work together very nicely. I have some very good friends through the years that are devout um, Christians and devoted scientists. Uh, Francis Collins, the director of the National Institute of Health, a devout Christian man, wrote a book about his faith a few years back. And I am indebted to archaeologists and astronomers and medical doctors and others who have helped validate um, and authenticate the Bible and show us that it's, it's authentic. But when you get to things like this, you can't prove it scientifically. You can show the empirical evidence, so to speak. You can say this happened, but you can't prove it. It's interesting that Parade Magazine did an article recently on the new movie, Miracles of Heaven. Anybody seen Miracles of Heaven yet? Any good? You guys like it? It's a good movie? I've heard it was a good movie. I just, I've just read about it, so I don't know yet. But uh, in this article, they said that the Pew Research Group says that 80% of Americans believe in miracles. Do you know why they believe that they believe in miracles? They feel they've experienced them. Hard to argue against that when a person has had an experience. So a miracle is when that experience has taken place and you can show that it's taken place, you just can't explain how. Because it's supernatural. And that's what's happening here. One of the great proofs of the resurrection that we don't always think of is the fact that Jesus said that he's going to come back and he's going to live supernaturally inside of people when they come into a relationship with him. And so we can look at people's lives when they do know Jesus and not just know about him and see how their lives have changed. They don't become perfect. Far from it. They still have their ups and downs, but they're better than they were. And there's a joy and a peace in their lives that they didn't have before. And it can be documented. And you can show that as evidence of people's lives. And so Jesus is alive. The second thing that we see, that they were looking for the living among the dead because they forgot Jesus' prophecy. And it's, you know, he he has it laid out for us here. He says he's risen. And he says, remember what he told you. And he says, remember when you ladies were following him back in Galilee when he first started his ministry, he had a statement here. In fact, the statement that he makes here is one of probably several that he made during his ministry. And this one is almost identical to what he says in Luke chapter 9, verse 22. He says he's the son of man, which is a way of saying he's the Messiah. He's the one who's come to save Israel and the world. He says, listen to this, some of the wording here, must be delivered into the hands. He doesn't say arrested, because if he said arrested, that would mean that they took control of him. But Jesus was never out of control. Nobody arrested him. He delivered himself over. He handed himself over. He didn't have to. He did it on our, for us. On his own, he could have pushed them away easily, but he decided to do this for our sake. 
And then it says that he did it to sinful men, which is ironic because the guys that he handed them over to were the Jewish religious leaders, the people that everybody thought, if anybody was not sinful, these guys weren't. But he said, they're sinful like anybody else, and they did a horrible thing. He talks about his mode of of execution, which is crucifixion, the most horrible known suffering in the world at that time. And then he says that it's going to happen on the third day. What's that all about? The third day was a big deal to the Jewish people. There was a tradition that when you died, the third day after your death, your soul would go to a place called Sheol, which is like heaven, and there'd be kind of a soul rest there. And then later in the distant future, there'd be a time of consummation where your body would come back and you'd have your body back again. And this was a popular view, not held by everybody, but it was the more popular view. And so they were kind of waiting, what's going to happen on the third day? Also, there's a number of passages of Scripture in Genesis and Esther and Hosea, and and particularly in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, that talks about the day of salvation. That something happens, and it's always on the third day, and so it was kind of tied in. This third day is apparently the day when the soul goes. But what Jesus is going to show them, that that's not the case. It's not that you just rise to this place called Sheol, your soul, but he says your body my body rises from the dead. I'm, I'm alive like right now. I have risen from the dead and I have my full body and everything's here. Well, that was different and a different understanding for them, but that's what he's saying. Sometimes people, by the way, can get a little hung up on this because they say, well, was he in the grave full three days? That's 60 hours. Um, was the angel there with this stopwatch saying, okay, okay, we got it. <laughs> there we go. Uh, was it like that? Probably not because they didn't count time like we do. They were not as precise. They didn't have wristwatches. They didn't have smartphones. They didn't have clock towers. They listened for the crow to cock them and say, oh, it must be about time. The, the, crow's crowing, the crow is crowing, and so it must be, be you know, a certain time. So their timing was not as precise. But what it meant is that he had to be in the grave at least parts of three days. And he was in there Friday, remember? He was buried Friday. Saturday, he was in all day, and then Sunday morning, he rose. And so it fulfills what was said about him. Now, this stuff, they didn't understand at first, but once they were told, they said, oh, oh I get it now. I, I remember what he said. And it all clicked in for them. We, if we want to know Jesus, we need to know what Jesus has to say about himself. Again, we can look every place else and we can learn from other sources and that's helpful, but we need to look primarily to what Jesus has to say about himself. And especially in John chapters 15 through 17, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit coming, that God is going to, after he rises from the dead, he's going to empower us to see things that we haven't seen before and that his followers will pass on the information that we need to hear. And we believe that that's what he's talking about with the New Testament. So we have the Old Testament and the New Testament that talks about Jesus And so we can understand him. Let's look at it from this perspective. One of my favorite history books is a book called um, Lincoln and American Memory by Merrill Peterson. I just picked it up. I don't even know where I got it. It was on my shelf and I read it one day. Didn't read it one day. It took me a while to read it. But when I went through the whole thing, it was fascinating because the beginning of the book is about Abraham Lincoln. But then the rest of the book is all about what people said about Abraham Lincoln after he died. And the whole story morphs into mythology. And so Peterson maintains that most people in this room today really don't know the real Lincoln. 
the person that you know is a fictionalized version of him that has been passed down. And the only way you can really know about Abraham Lincoln is if you study the lives of the people who knew him best and wrote about him while he was living or shortly after he died. Or if you read somebody who writes a biography who's a good biographer who takes those people's lives, takes what they have to say and puts it together for us. Does that make sense? Same thing's got to be true with Jesus. If you want to know Jesus, there are four men who knew him intimately, or three who knew him intimately, and another one who served as a biographer interviewing people, and that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you can get a pretty good feel for who Jesus is if you just take the time to read what they had to say about him. They knew him during his life, and they wrote shortly after he passed away. And so we've got a very good perspective right there. Now, there's another reason why they were looking for the living among the dead, and that is that, well, they weren't all looking for Jesus. Some had given up looking. And we pick that up in verses 9 through 11. They came back from the tomb. These ladies were pretty excited, you can imagine. And they went to the 11. Remember, it doesn't say they went to the 12. Why? Who was missing in the 12? Who betrayed Jesus? Anybody know, kids? Who betrayed Jesus? There we go. Awesome. Good job, Cole. Yeah, Judas betrayed Jesus, and so he's no longer there. So now we have 11. So they go to the 11, and we're told about the women. There were a number of women, and they're named at different points. So these women would have been known to the readers. They were prominent leaders themselves at that time. Mary Magdalene's always mentioned first, and so we believe that she was the leader. And they come back, and they share this news with the others. Now, there's some interesting things here. One is just to mention the devotion of these women who have followed Jesus from Galilee. They followed him to the cross, and they followed him to the tomb not even knowing that he was going to resurrect, just loving him anyway. And that just shows their extreme devotion. Uh, And actually kind of a challenge, too, because it seems to be true that women seem to be more that way a lot of times than men, Uh, especially in their faith. We see a lot of times in churches, women are the ones that are the driving force in the family. And that's really a pity. Um, So shame on you guys. You know, you guys got to man up and work with your wives. It should be teamwork. It's something that, you know, guys say, well, you know, I want to be a leader. I want to take care of my home. I want to take care of my family. Then we really need to do it when it matters. And that's an important part. But there's something else about these women that's interesting to me. Uh, Some irony here. First of all, they bring the message to the apostles. Notice the name apostles. Usually they're called the disciples. Later they'll be called the apostles. What's the difference? going to cut to the quick here. Basically, a disciple's a follower and an apostle's a messenger. All right? They were followers, learning everything they could about Jesus. Now they've got the message to pass on. But do you see the irony here? They've brought them the message, and they're not receiving it. So there's a little bit of irony going on here. Here's another ironic twist. Women in those days did not follow rabbis like Jesus. And their testimony was not considered valid in such cases. So what does Jesus do? He appears first to his women followers. That was very strategic and very important to note. Jesus, God, has always valued women as much as he does men. The world warped their value. And Jesus reinstates it. And if you're a woman, you can be thankful for that because All the things and progress that women have made over the years would not, I believe, have been possible had it not been for what Jesus began in his ministry. 
So it's a very powerful message on that. But what we come down to is these guys saying, I just don't think I can buy this stuff. They're really, they're really struggling. They actually say that what the women are saying to them is nonsense, which means it, it's kind of like saying, uh, it, it's a medical term for saying a person's delirious. You're crazy. I can't believe what you're saying. I don't think they discounted the value of women. They'd been around Jesus' teaching long enough. I just think they were depressed. They were despondent. They were discouraged. They had hoped and hoped and hoped, and their hope had failed them. And they didn't want to try anymore. They'd given up. You ever felt that way? Sometimes in life, it seems like just when things are getting better, somebody trips you, you fall down, and then another person kicks you in the gut. Does life feel that way sometimes? It can be pretty hard, and you can get to the point where you say, I don't feel like believing anymore. And I believe that's where these guys were at. But what's interesting is what they were hoping for was right there, waiting for them. Just waiting for them to grasp. And they weren't grasping it. They weren't taking hold of it. It's funny how sometimes somebody will come to you and they'll say, um, hey, you won't believe it. I've decided on the career I'm going to go in. And you can't believe what I'm going to do. And they tell you, and everybody in the room says, We've been waiting for you to do that. We all saw that all along. You ever see that happen or have it happen to you? Or I have this guy, I'm, I'm so in love with this guy and you can't believe who it is. Well, we've all observed this for some time now, right? Uh, and, and I think that's what happens is that if you know the Lord and you know somebody who does know the Lord, you probably observe all the different ways that God is touching their life. But sometimes because they're hurt, they don't see it. And I would say, open your eyes. You'd be surprised how many wonderful things God is doing in your life that you don't even realize. And just be aware of his presence and the work that he's doing. And then finally, we see that um, why were they looking for the, the living among the dead? Because they wanted to believe. They wanted to believe that he was alive or something else was going on here. And we pick that up in verse 12. We have the story of Peter here. Peter's actually, John says that he was actually involved in this as well. But Peter is highlighted because the readers uh, that John, Luke was writing to were very familiar with Peter. He was the primary leader in the early church. And so he's highlighted. John says that they both came to the tomb, and Peter actually looked in, and then he went into the tomb. And what he found is astounding. He found strips of linen lying by themselves. And at first glance, that doesn't mean a lot to us. But when we stop and think about what they're saying is that they would take these strips and put them on his body. They didn't quite embalm the body, but they would wrap it with some strips and things, and they, they would put spices on him. Remember the ladies were bringing spices? That was what you would do. It, was, it, it had a, a nice aroma, and it was a nice thing. You'd put that on the body. They didn't probably realize that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, who actually buried, um, you know, actually buried Jesus, actually put him in the tomb in the first place. They didn't realize that when those guys put him in, they put over 100 pounds of spices on his body. You know, so much for people that say that Jesus just woke up and walked up and walked away. He had 100 pounds of spices on his body, and he'd already gone through all this trauma. What that means, though, is that, have you ever tried to take something off when you have spices on it? It sticks. You couldn't take it off. All those the grave clothes would be ripped to shreds if they took him off of his body. But what he sees is these strips that are just laid out. 
as if the body disappeared and everything just fell in place. And that's what really blows his mind. And he's looking at it, and it says that he wondered. He was wondering. Which doesn't mean that he didn't believe, but it doesn't mean that he did believe. He was waffling between the two. He was just overwhelmed and trying to process this. You ever been there with anything before? He just didn't know that he could figure this thing out. But, but here's his response. His response is, is really interesting. It's very much like the father who Jesus asked the question. He said, do you believe that I can heal your son? In Mark chapter 9, verse 24. And you remember what that man said? He said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. Peter determined that he was going to believe anyway, as hard as it was. So he went to the tomb. And in verse 24, he, gathered, he told the others to go to the tomb. And he gathered them together, and then Jesus does appear to Peter. And sometimes that's where we're at, where we just put one foot in front of the other. We're going through hard times, and we feel like, man, I don't know if I can believe anymore. And we remember the things of the past, we remember God's faithfulness, and we move forward one step at a time. We need to be careful not to be too hard on these guys, because remember, they hadn't read the story. They were part of the story. And so they were just processing all of this stuff. For us, we think, you know, sometimes we're so accustomed to resurrection that that concept, it doesn't blow our minds like it should. When we hear about resurrection stories all the time, it's become part of our culture, largely because it's imported from the Bible. Even stories, movies, drama, fiction, talks about people somehow are resurrected or variations of resurrection. I had a little brief interaction with Mitch on this because he's an expert on this area. And I said, did Yoda technically resurrect? <laughs> and, you know, and he said, um, res resurrects are not me. Uh, no, he, he <laughs> but, no, he said he didn't resurrect technically because he didn't resurrect in the flesh. But nevertheless, you know, we have these variations, right? Everybody's doing this. In their day, this whole idea of resurrection, people didn't come back from the dead. So this blew their minds. Plus, they probably thought that Jesus was saying, because they were importing all the stuff they had from their former teaching, and they thought, oh, okay, his, what he meant is on the third day, his soul would go up to heaven to rest until the consummation. Now, we'll find out later in some other things that they should have known. They had enough information. They knew Jesus well enough. They should have known. But it wasn't that easy. Not as easy as we sometimes think it is. And if they didn't know, as committed as they were to Jesus, we wouldn't have known. It shows how fallible we all are and how this kind of information is so difficult. We tend to make things more difficult than they already are, which is sort of what they do. But... What I want to look at now is just how we would respond to this. And there's a couple things I thought of for us. And some might work for you and some may not, but a couple ideas. One is to seek to know Jesus personally. It's not enough to simply do a study of his life, but what's important is to try to really get to know him. Like, for example, if I said I talked to Lincoln, which I don't anymore, um, but if I said I did, you would say, that's kind of strange. All right. so, but 
if I said I'm a Christian, but I don't pray, you'd think that's pretty strange. That means that I'm talking to Jesus. One of my favorite songs, it's about 15 years old now, is that uh, old song, because it is getting old, My Redeemer Lives by Nicole C. Mullins. Remember that song? It's, it's a very powerful song talking about the evidence of God, how he's made himself known through creation, how he's made himself known through people's lives, how he's made himself known in personal crisis, how he's made himself known from rising from the grave. And it's all very powerful. And the song crescendos, and it says, he lives, he lives. And I'm thinking, but this is a great song. But the part of that song that always grabs me I think more than anything else, is while the chorus is singing, he lives, she's singing in the background and she says, I spoke with him this morning. I mean, that gets me every time because I think that's, that's the evidence that he's alive is because I'm talking to him. I talk to him all day long. I know him. He's my best friend. He's my Lord. He's my God. He's my father. I have a relationship with him. This is real. I encourage you to talk to him. Pour out your gut to him because he knows it all already. So get it out. Thank him for what he's done. Pray that he would reveal himself to you. I've prayed that. And he has. The second thing that I'd encourage you to do is to study what the Bible says about Jesus. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read through them. Just read right through them. And if you have any questions, let me know. That'd be a great thing to do and wrestle with that. And the third is if we don't want to believe, we usually won't. Isn't that true? Uh, there are people that still believe the world is flat. I mean, you, you believe what you want to believe. But I was reading that article in Parade, and they interviewed Jennifer Garner, who's the star in this movie, Miracles from Heaven, I guess. And uh, they asked her, Do you believe in heaven? And she said something interesting. She said, I believe in heaven. Why wouldn't you believe in heaven? And a lot of times we invert that and we say, I don't believe in heaven. Why would you? But the fact is the evidence for heaven is, I believe, far greater than that against it. But again, it's, are you willing to look at it honestly and objectively? We've got, at the back, we've got the Daily Bread, which is a little booklet that we give out to people for free, a little devotional guide that you can pick up on our back tables if you're interested. And there's a free one. They're all free, but there's one today on, on Easter. I, I hesitate to say this. There's so many of you. We only have so many of them. And, you know, you always hate to hear about these big crowds and people getting knocked down and fighting for things. But anyway, so, so if you promise to take it easy at the back table and you can pick those up and take them home. And there's a lot of different ways that you can look at and see what God is doing in people's lives. And then finally, if you sincerely want to believe, you will. It's been my experience that when people really examine Jesus' life as the Messiah, the fact that he uh, was handed over to sinful men, that he was crucified, and that he rose again on the third day, that that evidence is overwhelming. And if you really desire to know him, and you really look objectively and honestly, that you'll come into a relationship with the risen Savior. How do you respond to that? What do you do? You admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave. And you choose to follow Christ and put your faith in Him alone. If you're interested in doing that, we encourage you to come and talk to us because we'd love to uh, help you along in that journey. I'd like you to use your imaginations. Let's imagine 
that you've had a dream. And in this dream, everybody around you seems to be dying. And there are just a few people, relatively speaking, that are still alive. There's this horrible epidemic, and they've got to figure out what to do with it. And so they find a formula, and they find this shot that they give, but it's very painful, it's very difficult. People have to be cooperative. But they give that to you and to all the people that are alive, because they're, they're trying to send this out to as many people as possible. You can't help everybody. You can only help those people closest to you in your life. But you go to those people and you give them this medicine. And it's difficult, and some people are willing to go through the pain of taking this medicine, and others are not. And those that do survive and do remarkably well, and those that don't die. You know, that's what I'm telling you as an illustration of what reality is. Reality is, from the Bible's perspective, that people are either spiritually alive or spiritually dead. And most people are spiritually dead, according to the Bible. Jesus says it's a narrow road to heaven. And so we're in positions where if you're spiritually alive, you can't reach everybody, but you can reach those people that are closest to you in your life, your family, your friends, your co-workers, people you go to school with. And we're not called to preach at them. We're called to love them and minister to them. Whether people ever come to know Christ or not is not what's, what we're supposed to do. That's God's job. But as we say in our church, because this is our, our, our mission statement, our love for God leads us to love our world. And it should lead us to love those people around us enough that we care for them and love them. And when appropriate, we invite them to church and we tell them about God, even as Candy Maurer did for Morgan. And as Morgan so appropriately said, if it wasn't for Candy, Morgan would not be spiritually alive today, very likely, and wouldn't have been here to speak with us. And so I encourage you, beyond all the things we've talked about today, to consider who it is that you can reach out to with the message of the resurrection. We join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for, for Jesus. Thank you for sending him. Uh, thank you for the sacrifice that is um, far and beyond anything that I think any of us can even begin to imagine. Thank you that it was a sacrifice motivated and inspired by pure love. And that you should love us is a miracle in itself. That you should die for us, Jesus, is beyond description. That we can know you personally and enjoy a personal relationship with you, both now and forevermore, far more than anything we could ever ask. We love you and we thank you so much for all you've done. And we pray that you would encourage each of our hearts this very special Easter Sunday, this time of resurrection, and that uh, those that know you would rejoice in you, those that don't know you, that they could ask questions and that you'd reveal yourself to them and pray that it would just continue to be a day of great celebration. Amen.